Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Luke 24, 13 to 35, and it's on page 736 in the Church Bible, if you follow along with me. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they were approaching the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them while he broke the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we can open your word freely. Thank you that we have the freedom to gather and worship you. Lord, today, please open our hearts to your message. Please help us to understand the depths of your love, and please speak to us clearly and give us wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Phobias can be pretty interesting, especially the rare and sort of funny ones, like pogonophobia, which means a, a fear of beards, or nomophobia, that's the fear of being without your mobile phone. And my personal favorite Hippopotamonstrosis quipidaliophobia, 
fear of long words. Now, we can all agree that these three seem a bit silly, uh, but there's plenty of phobias to go around, uh, and some of them are more understandable. I myself, I'm terrified of lightning. I can't stand it. The flash, the noise, the unpredictability, all of it just freaks me out. And it's not as rare as you might think. In fact, a study found that astrophobia, as it's called, is actually the third most common in the United States. See, some phobias can be quite common, like the fear of heights, acrophobia, or thalassophobia, fear of deep water. Uh, I'm sure at some point in our lives, most of us have experienced nyctophobia, a fear of the dark. At first glance, these phobias may seem quite unconnected. But when I was researching them, I came across a study that suggested these fears are all based on a common fear. It's described as one fear to rule them all, and it was the fear of the unknown. Now, we, we face a lot of unknowns in our lives, especially in recent times, uh, but generally, humankind has always agreed on what is the biggest unknown, what we consider the most common and rational fear, the fear of death. What happens when we die? It's a question we fail to answer no matter how much time or money or manpower we throw at it. Uh, as a whole, we don't know what to expect after death, and that can be really scary. Now, death is something we usually don't like talking about. We like to think it's tomorrow's problem, or for when we get older, or, or if we get sick. Uh, especially if you're still young here, you might think, I've got plenty of time to worry about death. But part of the uncertainty surrounding death is in the timing. We can't ever know how much time we have before death finds us. I pray this isn't the case, but some of us might not make it home today. Accidents happen. And deep down, we all know that death is headed for us. When we drive, we wear seatbelts to keep us safe in case of a crash. And when we're unusually sick, we spend our money on doctors, or we at least Google our symptoms. Uh, the only thing all of us know for sure is that the problem of death is something we'll have to face sooner or later. So what do we do about it? How do we deal with a fear that's so hidden, but at the same time so certain? Well, the answer, fortunately, is in the Gospels. Now, we're in the Gospel of Luke, and in Luke, uh, like all the Gospels, we see Jesus. We see him teaching and performing miracles. We see him answering difficult questions about how we should live our lives, how to treat each other, and how to properly honor God. But as we open God's Word today, we're going to look at where and how Jesus defeats the greatest fear of all. It begins in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. We catch up with two disciples walking along the road. Now, these two weren't part of Jesus' 12 disciples, but they were followers of Jesus. So at that time in history, in this part of the world, if you were a law-abiding Jew, as these two were, uh, you would go to Jerusalem to participate in what's called the Passover festival. It's a huge festival to remember what God did for the Jews when they were in Egypt. When he cursed Egypt with the death of every firstborn, he told the Jews to put a mark of lamb's blood on their door frames, and God's judgment would pass over their house. So the Passover celebration is in memory of this event. You all get together, there's lamb, there's wine. It's a big deal in the Jewish calendar. And this year, there's even more to celebrate, because Jesus is there, King of the Jews the one they're calling the Messiah. 
the one promised by God in the scriptures. So these two disciples are walking down the road, and they're reflecting on what a crazy time it's been. They came to see Jesus. But it didn't all go as they hoped. He was arrested, publicly mocked, and killed by the Romans. He was put on a cross just outside of town, in front of everybody. God said he would send a savior. And these two thought Jesus was it. And it wasn't a new idea either. It's, this has been promised a long time ago. The idea that all their daily struggles, all the pain, all the suffering they endure year after year, all of it was supposed to be ended through Jesus. See, he claimed to be the one that God sent them. And he performed miracles and he taught God's word and challenged their leaders. But they're disappointed. They no longer have hope. Jesus is dead. He's gone. And he was supposed to fix everything. And not just for a little while, the Messiah was supposed to end the Jews' suffering forever. A mighty and holy king like the world has never seen. But he died. And there's no point following a dead Messiah. Now, how would you be feeling? What would you be thinking? If it was me, I'd, I'd be a wreck. I'd feel a little lost, maybe even angry, wondering, what am I going to do now? What's my reason for living? Which is kind of what these guys are feeling. See, they're walking down the road, deflated and miserable. Then in verse 15, a stranger approaches and starts walking with them. Now, we know this is Jesus, but to them, He's just some guy. In verse 17, the stranger asked them, what are you talking about? And how depressing is that question right now? For me, I, I hate it when I'm going through something painful and all I want to do is not think about it and someone asks, what's wrong? Some of you might know what I'm talking about if you've failed an exam or done something really embarrassing. Uh, maybe you've gone through a difficult breakup or even lost someone close to you, the last thing you want is to be reminded of it. It just brings it all back to the surface, making you feel bad all over again. They stop walking. They don't even look at the guy when Cleopas finally answers. He asks the stranger, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there? And the stranger, apparently not realizing how ignorant he seems, asks them, what things? Now, as we saw, this is Passover week. There is a lot of Jewish pilgrims in the city and surrounding areas, and I doubt that any of them missed the news about the man from Nazareth claiming to be king of the Jews, let alone the Son of God. And with this in mind, their reply in verse 19 is not surprising. They say, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And how hard must it be to have to share this news that's so painful and personal with someone you just met? But that's not even the worst of it. In verse 21, they share their real pain. We had hoped. We'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. See, these disciples had heard the scriptures the promise of a great prophet who would free them all, an amazing figure like no other sent by God to restore his people. To them, this could only be some kind of 
politician or military leader, someone who would send the Romans packing and put Israel back on top. Someone who could make their current lives better and easier. That's who they were expecting. Then in verse 21, they tell him, it's been three days since he died. And we can all see the sadness of this. It can be hard to accept the death of a loved one at first. There's a period of doubt, of disbelief. But the more time goes on, the more the reality of death sinks in. Three days, he's gone. He's not coming back. And on top of that sadness comes confusion. In verse 22, they tell him, some of our women amazed us. They went to his tomb early this morning and his body was missing. They said that angels told them that he was alive, but when our companions went to the tomb, they didn't see him. Now, this whole thing's been pretty rough for these two, to lose someone so important, so vital to their salvation, and, and then here he was alive again, just to be let down a second time, to feel that loss all over again. It's easy to see why they're discouraged. And then in verse 25, the stranger's response comes a bit unexpected. How foolish you are. Now, I can't speak for these disciples, but if I were in their shoes, at this point, I'd be kind of annoyed. <laughs> I'd be thinking, buddy, we've just met. I just told you how bad my day is going. I've been catching you up on stuff that everybody in town knows already, and now you're calling me foolish? But uh, the stranger doesn't seem phased, and he continues in verse 26 asking, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then he explained to them all the things said in the scriptures concerning Jesus. And it must have been a lot because the next thing we know, the journey is over. We've walked the seven miles and have arrived at Emmaus. And when the time comes to part company, the disciples invite him to stay. In fact, verse 29 says, They urged him strongly, stay with us. The day is almost over. The stranger accepts. He goes in with them to stay the night. In verse 30, we see them at the dinner table. They're reclined together as they would in those days, about to have supper. The stranger takes the bread, gives thanks to the Father, and breaks it. He starts to hand it to them, and as he does, their eyes are opened, and they can see it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's alive. The Messiah who died, who was put to death in front of us, who was beaten and flayed and pierced and crucified. He was well and truly declared dead and buried for three days. And here he is, sitting with us, alive again. How could this happen? What does this mean? Well, it means he is the Messiah. It means he has conquered death. It means they were foolish to doubt and they don't have to be afraid. Jesus immediately vanishes from their sight and you'd think this would discourage them again, but the disciples have seen the truth. The risen Jesus himself has opened their eyes. And as a result, everything is different. First thing they say to each other in verse 32 is that their hearts were burning within them while he talked to them on the road. And why wouldn't they be? In, in verse 27, it says he explained all the parts of Scripture concerning him. And there's so many powerful and prophetic bits of Scripture that Jesus could have shared with them. From all the way back in Genesis, we're told of one born who will crush Satan. 
could have gone to Deuteronomy, where God promises us a prophet better than Moses, or Psalm 110 that tells of a Lord greater than King David. And then there's Isaiah 53. It says, this one we've been waiting for, he will be a suffering servant, a lamb led to the slaughter, that he'd be cut off from the land of the living, and after he would see the light of life. Now, if Jesus had stayed dead, it would be like he never came. He'd just be another false messiah, a footnote in the history books. But since Jesus rose again, it actually proves the scriptures true. The truth of the resurrection confirms the truth of all the books of the Bible because they all point to this. Throughout the whole Bible, God continually points to the one who will be born of man and will die to save us all. And knowing the scriptures, if Jesus hadn't died, he wouldn't fit. It would go against what God had foretold about his Messiah. See, God had a specific and perfect plan that he'd already told us about. And Jesus' death and resurrection is that plan in action. Because when he died on that cross and rose three days later, he didn't do it just to show his power over death. When he died on that cross, he was paying a price. He paid for our sins. The Bible tells us that death entered this world because we sinned against God. We have earned his judgment through our rebellion. But Jesus' blood spilled on that cross means that God's judgment can pass over us. And we can have eternal life when we put our trust in him. See, the resurrection changes so much. There's an old saying that goes, only two things are certain, death and taxes. But on this day, that list went down to one. Through his resurrection, Jesus showed that death isn't certain, that there's a way back to life, and that he is that way. And this knowledge that Jesus has conquered death has massive repercussions for his followers. In verse 33, we see the change in the disciples. It says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Now, earlier in the passage, they urged Jesus to stay because it was getting late. And now they're ready to travel, not only in the dark, when it's most dangerous, but back to Jerusalem, where followers of Jesus are in hiding, fearful of persecution for their beliefs. They've changed their attitudes about the scriptures. They've changed their concerns for their own safety. They've literally done a 180 and headed in the opposite direction. And why are they suddenly so bold and enthusiastic? They wanted to be safe from persecution and, and free from Roman authority. If anything, this course will lead them closer to those dangers. The Messiah hadn't removed these obstacles, right? But in an unexpected way, by dying and returning, he did. By dying and living again, he shows these two that there is life after death, that there is life beyond death, an eternal life in him. And with eternal life just over the horizon, what is there to fear? If believing in Jesus will free them from death, then how can the Romans hurt them? If the kingdom of God exists in heaven, then why cling to the things on earth so much? See, the disciples were being foolish. They made the mistake many of us make. They were looking for physical salvation. And Jesus turned them around to see the spiritual victory he'd planned from the start. It wasn't what they expected, but it was better than they could have imagined. In revealing the mysteries of death, Jesus gave them a reason to live, to live boldly and without fear. 
And that's how these disciples feel as, as they're headed back to Jerusalem, ready to seek out other believers and tell them the good news. Their eyes have been opened, their hearts set on fire. They don't walk with their faces downcast anymore. Their faces are turned towards the resurrection. Jesus rising from the grave changes everything. But what does it mean for us today? Well, if you're here today and you're not sure about Jesus, uh, know that you don't have to fear death. Know that you can know what comes after. Know that there is a huge reason to believe in Jesus when he tells us. I mean, if you're going to take advice from someone, you want them to know what they're talking about. There's a lot of guessing going on about what happens after you die from people who've never been there. Jesus has been there. He can speak about death and what happens after you die because he was there. So you can't trust him. And if you're here today and you've already decided to trust Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, this passage should set your heart on fire. You don't need to fear death. You don't have to wonder if following Jesus is worth it. You can know for certain you have assurance that your life is safe with Jesus. I want to share with you now how this message had a huge impact on my dad's life. Uh, my dad had a lot of struggles in his life. Uh, all throughout, he had health issues. Uh, he worried for his family. And even though he was a Christian and he trusted Jesus, he was scared of eternity. Not even just death, just the idea of forever terrified him. He prayed long and hard that God would fix his problems, that he would heal his body and soothe his worries, that he would make this life easier and less painful. And even though he always prayed about these things, uh, it was June uh, 2021, uh, he met with his doctor and got the news that he had cancer. It seemed like a bit of a joke at first, like God had heard his prayers and done the opposite. I even prayed many times that God would take the cancer away. But see, we were looking for physical healing when God was giving spiritual relief. As dad was getting sicker, his relationship with God the Father was actually growing stronger. It seemed the more he let go of this life, the more he embraced the next. And at one point he said, I don't know what I was so worried about. And he died that October. See, he knew Jesus. He knew that Jesus died and came back to life. He knew where he was going, that he'd be free of the pain of his broken body. And by the end, he embraced the idea of eternity with Jesus. It wasn't what we expected, but it was better than we could have imagined. So let me encourage you all to lift your eyes to eternity and let go of the burdens of this world. Let me invite you to celebrate the spiritual victory won by Jesus Christ and know that if God can give my dad that kind of reassurance and peace, he can do it for me and for you. It won't be what we expect, but it will be better than we can imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for your plan that he will be born and live and die and rise again. Thank you that you've given us proof of life after death. Please help us all to live without fear and forgive us when we're being foolish. Lord, please set our hearts on fire to the truth you've shown us.
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.